He's been shot six times. Halloweenies. He's been burned alive. Halloweenies. He's lost his head. Halloweenies. Michael Myers can't and won't be stopped, which is why he returns this October. In anticipation, the Consequence Podcast Network presents Halloweenies, a limited series that carves out one Halloween movie a month, leading all the way up to the October 19th release of David Gordon Green and Danny McBride's new movie. You'll get tricks. You'll get treats. You'll get Michael. Tune in for the night we came home. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode four of season two of Discography. I'm your host, Mark with a C. I'm not only a lifelong record geek and not only the host of this show on Consequence Podcast Network, but I've also been releasing lo-fi pop records independently for nearly 20 years now. And Discography is a show where we look at a great artist through the lens of only their canon albums of first release material to see who the music says that they really are and how it all stacks up. Discography aims to educate and inform those listeners who really want to know. All opinions are that of the person that said them because everything is subjective. Discography can be a pretty personal journey for me, though. You should probably know that up front. Let's jump right in. Janet Jackson, singer, songwriter, dancer, actress, a household name, one of the biggest stars that the Western world has ever known, yet few have really poured through just her canonical albums to see how it all stacks up. And Janet, well, she changed the face of popular culture numerous times over, though around 2004, her influence on the world slowed considerably after she was blacklisted from most American media outlets because, are you ready for this? Her partially covered breast was seen on TV for less than a second. I'd hope you can't blame me for trying to stick to the albums themselves under such circumstances. So here's a few things you should know about how we are going to do and how we've been doing this overview. First off, it's no secret that Janet is likely best known for her music videos, but I'm trying my best to look only at the actual albums without taking the visual components so much into account as much as, you know, the average person might. Also, many of her biggest hits either only appeared on compilations or soundtracks or standalone singles, and as a result, those tracks don't really technically fall into the canon of the full-length albums, and they're not really eligible for dissertation on our show, so that's why we didn't touch on the Janet remixed album, the, um, the Control remixes, and all those really great singles like Diamonds and 24 Play and Scream and Runaway and how many opinions on those things do you really need? And besides, then you'd have to get me started on how great her B-sides can be, and that's just a rabbit hole none of us have time for. Though in our first three episodes of this season, we took a deep dive into Janet's first seven albums, which range from pleasant pop sundries to genre-defining experiments. But by 2004, her career had been hampered by that unfortunate incident at the Super Bowl... Uh, and though the album Demita Joe followed shortly thereafter, it didn't exactly light the world on fire. And while there were high points, something was just starting to feel kind of off, like something was kind of missing. But Janet persevered, and we're picking up right there today. 
Joining me again on episode number four is Captain Chris. He's in a group called Crystal Brains Campaign. He's also the DJ, the head honcho of the Anything and Everything show on WPRK 91.5 in Orlando, Florida, which has a spinoff show called Live from Dope City. And Live from Dope City, can you give me a nutshell version of what this offers that you can't get elsewhere? Yes, I can. Live from Dope City is my monthly showcase of local Orlando, Florida music talent. So basically, once a month, I bring in one local band, they do four songs, I do a goofy interview, we have a good time, you know? What you end up with is, in my opinion, something that doesn't really exist outside of really big, beloved scenes like your Portland's or your your Chicago's or whatnot. You're detailing the scene with, like, multiple camera shoots with decent audio mixes, and this just ain't being done in Orlando not and in much. most cities. Nope, nope, it's not. You know, like, I just happen to have, uh, happen to be blessed with a, a crew of uh, very talented people who want to see the scene flourish as much as I do. So, you know, it's our it's our way of giving back to the scene that has given so much to us. And I mentioned you got this group. Crystal Brains campaign. Tell me a little bit about that. Now, we've heard in past episodes little clips of a track called Mental Love Affair, but before we get onto the the Janet topic, which we will clearly be on for quite a while here, (laughs) um, tell me a little bit about the aim of the campaign. The aim of the campaign is basically to have a good time in a synth formation, basically. It initially started off basically as a solo project, and once Peter Lutringer got on it with me, we started to flesh it out into a full band. So basically, it's just a continuation of like uh, electro, synth, funk, and like those different genres, maybe even a little post-punk thrown in from here and there, just designed to have an, another avenue. It's a campaign for a new change, a, a, a better sound. <laughs> if people want to check out uh, the other tunes by Campaign, where would they go? Uh, right now, we just have the Mental Love Affair single and the B-side, which is uh, Music for Spaceships, Metro. Um, that is on Bandcamp.com. Look for Crystal Brain's Campaign, and that's where you will find us. You're on speaking terms with our guest, Crystal Brain. Let's go ahead and move right along to the next album we got to talk about. In September of 2006, Janet Jackson released the album 20YO on Virgin Records. Let's talk about it. 2006 was an interesting year for music. Everyone was trying to adapt to how records were going to be sold while piracy ran rampant. You make a song that reaches the masses, the masses download it. Little made sense anymore, especially to legacy artists. Meanwhile, the artists who made records that moved like hotcakes around the time were the likes of Pink, Beyonce, Fallout Boy, Justin Timberlake, Taylor Swift, Daughtry, the soundtrack to High School Musical, etc. Beyond the soundtrack to, like, the Beatles' Cirque du Soleil show going multi-platinum, legacy artists weren't doing gangbuster sales as easily as they used to, and it was it was pretty clear that Janet would need to move forward, but even the most calculated of moves would land Miss Jackson into an unpredictable place. 
Gone were the days of just selling records based on name alone. Remember, you're selling like 14 million records at a shot with her record that's simply titled Janet. But Demita Joe, thanks to that industry blacklist, barely moved a million copies in America. And it's amazing that it did it. But man, two years made an even bigger difference. So in late 2006, Janet would release 20YO. And by Janet's previous standards, it's a really strange and unpredictable album. It's not as if she was about to jump into making ska-influenced satanic polkabilly or something, but up until this point, when you got yourself a Janet album, you pretty much, you knew the circumstances. It'd be her, Jam and Lewis. Maybe whomever Janet is dating at the time will drop in, and there's usually at least one or two tracks that'll bring in another producer, maybe just to keep things interesting. Slap in a bunch of interludes to connect the album with a theme, and you are off to the races. Only problem was... Based on the performance and reception of Demita Joe, as well as the blacklist that she'd faced, there was no race. Not even a guaranteed prize. Demita Joe was Janet's least commercially successful album since her first two, which were made under her family's care. So the usual just wasn't working anymore. Presumably as a result, this time the basic production team would instead be Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, and Janet's boyfriend, Jermaine Dupree. They'd only occasionally bring in other folks, but apparently the addition of the already quite successful Dupree introduced some new tensions to what must have been a sometimes formulaic partnership by now. Or at least that's one version of the story. Some claim that the 20YO album was completed as per usual, and as Jermaine Dupree was now a division president of Virgin, he took it upon himself to make massive and unspecified changes to this album. One of the initial folks that heard the before and after was record producer Kwame Holland, who was mortified at the sea change, and he placed the blame squarely on Jermaine Dupree. And some claim that Dupree's handling of 20YO is what got him fired from Virgin Records altogether, actually. So it stands to reason that 20YO is a very uneven record, and, you know, it might even be Janet's weakest hour on record. The scuttlebutt about this one was that they'd intended to do a sort of throwback to Control with a heavy emphasis on slamming dance tracks, and this would be reflected in the themes of the album, that this was the 20th anniversary of Control, and it was a good time to look back. Unfortunately, when they looked at dance music and seemed to attempt to look back at the general musical climate of 1986, they missed the mark greatly by pushing the modern envelope much more brazenly. The relatable substance that permeated through control is largely absent on 20YO, and for the first time, look, Janet's just turned in a kind of disappointing album. No matter what you hoped for with 20YO, it fails to fully deliver any of what it claimed it was going to be, but it also doesn't really come with many new ways of doing things either. It just sort of is. And Janet opens with a bit of talking about having no theme at all. Like, let's focus on that for a second. Janet devotes the opening interlude to the album to the sounds of rewinding tapes, a list of previous topics, and how it's her intention to admit that she quote-unquote doesn't know. So we're quick 
quickly swept up into the opening track called So Excited, and you can hear echoes of the 1986 concept as samples from Herbie Hancock's Rocket kick you in. Janet delivers her lyrics about, well, being excited in a breathy voice that seems a little meek in comparison to guest star Kia's headstrong delivery of her part of the hook. Lyrically, the song is another in the line of Janet's songs about romantic and sexual submission, but she sounds herself utterly swallowed up by all the production decisions that are diverting your attention away. So Excited is one of those songs that literally has 10 songwriters that ultimately throw too much into one small pot. Slightly more successful is the following track called Show Me. It only has six writers, but is decidedly less cluttered, allowing the very 80s-sounding synthesized hand claps to sell the initial concept a little bit better. But melodically, the track is lost in its own sparseness. Eight minutes into the album, and there's either too much or too little going on, but somehow it all works out into a stew where Janet seems like the least present individual until you get to the memorable chant towards the end of Show Me. How bad do you need it? Show me. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Show me. How bad do you need it? Cause actions speak louder than words. Get It Out Me returns to the world music percussion that ran through the last few albums with those same hand claps. It's a bit one-trick pony, but interestingly, Janet's delivery isn't terribly far removed from her brother Michael's classic 80s work here. Unfortunately, that's not enough to make the song a highlight, and again, the concept meets lack of concept is frankly louder than the lady with her name on the front of the album. It's an exceptionally dry-sounding track, but I'm not sure how much they could have wrung out of the you're the only person that can please me lyrical motif anyways. But when they're ready to switch to another tune, Janet literally pops in long enough to say, NEXT TRACK! And to these ears, she already sounds just kinda done with 20YO. Meanwhile, much more successful is the thumping and lurching DO IT TO ME. That's spelled DO, IT, and then the numeral TO, and then ME. We're still not exactly getting war and peace here lyrically, but Janet's rapid-fire vocals in the chorus, surrounded by some really nice harmonies, reminds us why we're even here, complete with orchestral breakdowns. One starts to feel more at home, and while it starts to feel more like what we might have all signed up for, it's not a great sign when it takes 10 minutes for this to even start feeling like a Janet Jackson album. The first truly interesting moment on 20YO is a grinding track called This Body. It's about men who only appreciate Janet on a physical level in, say, a two-dimensional magazine spread. Lines like, what would you do if I stepped off this page, surrounded by a few lead guitar lines, give way to another chorus where other voices really drown Janet out. And then a jet takes off, and we're treated to an uncredited rap by Jermaine Dupri under the pseudonym Cocaine J. Slowed down effects and all. It almost feels like there's a completely different record hiding underneath this record, what's likely the 40th remix of the song. Though 20YO didn't take nearly as long as, say, Demita Joe did to make, which was like 18 months, there's nary a moment where this album doesn't feel completely overworked, and the Cocaine J moment is a great example of that. It's a perfectly fine song, trundling along, and then... 
bam, something or someone comes in that's not Janet, and it's also not taking the song to a better destination. But... Cause when I'm with you, I don't want tomorrow to come. And if I have my best spent every day and night in your arms, so Those that were hoping for some actual sequels to the Control material will be thrilled by the track with you. Reportedly, this is a new sequel to Let's Wait a While from Control, and if my theory is correct, technically the song Someday is Tonight from the album Rhythm Nation would be the track in between these two. Though it's the first song here that really feels like Janet, and the lyrics are deceptive, at first seeming like just a laundry list of why those lovers think that they're ready for physical intimacy, but in actuality, just the prelude to the ensuing confusion that inevitably follows such a decision. This isn't to say that With You is worth the price of admission alone, but that there are some nice spots that promise that the initial concepts could have been greatly satisfying with a little bit more follow-through. Especially nice touch when that same flamenco guitar from Someday Is Tonight shows up in the outro, too. Meanwhile, Call On Me. Okay, the song Call On Me features Nelly, and like six other songwriters, and to me, it clearly sounds like the tune that everyone was banking on to be the single that said, Janet Jackson is back! for the discriminating Janet Jackson fan, it's kind of hard to argue that Nelly really dominates this track. It uses a 1983 sample from SOS Band, and it's got more going on melodically than the first 25 minutes of this album combined. It's got a bit of that mid-tempo, sultry groove that any Janet fan is always excited by, but again, this is a lopsided duet. And the first really great track on 20YO relegates Janet to guest star status on her own record. And maybe it was an idea to try to get around the blacklist, that Nelly's is the first voice heard. And hey, there's no blacklisting of Nelly, so that's a way that they could sneak back into the R&B airwaves, right? It was a smart gamble that brought the single to the Billboard Top 10 for the first time in years, and you likely wouldn't mind it on the radio, but that's really 20YO in a nutshell. The first time you hear an undeniably good song, it's the one with the least amount of Janet, and you can basically hear the business decisions being made over the beat. It's telling that Janet is not one of the six writers, and according to some, Dupree and Nelly practically completed the track on their own, only asking for Janet's participation after playing it for her via telephone at her own recording session. Just chew on that notion. And after a quick interlude featuring Janet talking to her friend Lynette about how they've known each other since the good time days, we're greeted with Daybreak, which is the best song we've heard here so far by A Country Mile. And the throwback aspect of this track seems to lie in the usage of Miami-style bass thumping along quietly, some positively Yamaha keyboard-sounding chimes, and those ever-present synthesized hand claps. But melodically, this is the most Janet-feeling and sounding tune we've got here. Her ability to take a simple musical backdrop and paint a rainbow with harmonies over the top is on full display right here. Sneaking out to play tonight, going to 
The song called Enjoy brings back a staggered thump that isn't too far removed from a that's the way love goes kind of track, but with a bigger emphasis on a piano that accompanies Janet's voice and the main melody. But weirdly, the lyrics dote on the virtues of not being stuck in the past, which, okay, listen, you can all see how problematic this record is, right? This isn't just my imagination. Do it now, never too late to try Lose your innovation, let your inspiration set you free Besides 2015's Unbreakable, my research for this season of discography was the first time that I'd ever really dug into the run between 2001's All For You and 2006's 20YO, and it was my hope that there would be some misunderstood masterpieces hiding in this period that the world had never noticed because they were just that scared of boobs. But in the case of 20YO, I can say that even if Nipplegate had never happened, this album probably wouldn't have impressed many, despite really great moments like the catchy schoolyard outro of Enjoy, for example. Whether a result of Jermaine Dupri's facelift, which is, of course, all alleged, I don't actually know anything concrete about that, the attempt at keeping up with 2006 most powerful Joneses, or maybe it's a combination of all the circumstances that I've mentioned, for the first time, we don't even get a proper Quiet Storm section. As many of Janet's most powerful secret weapons tends to be her ability to shock and best anyone at the slow-burning ballads, this is the final nail in 20YO's coffin. Our one true Quiet Storm-type track is called Take Care, and hear me now and believe me later, but someone somewhere buried this, the best song on the entire album in the penultimate position. Take Care isn't just good because a lot of what we already know that we like about Janet is on full display here. It's good because, well, it's just a crackingly beautiful slow jam. And this one is just Janet, Jam, and Lewis. And it's hard to not notice that the strength returns when the original team is left to their own devices. That less is more approach, it also extends to the lyrics, because instead of graphic depictions of sexual acts, you've got lines like, I'm in a sexy mood, and mere hints at what's going to happen, quote, when you come home to me. And it'd have made a lot more sense for the earlier song called With You to have followed, but as it doesn't, the album plays through like a bunch of tracks in various stages of mixing and remixing placed on shuffle. The first 16 songs and interludes that came up are what they'd have picked. Now, please don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that this is how they pick the tracks, but that's how it plays out to these ears. Reportedly, there were songs done with the Neptunes and Dr. Dre, but if those songs were cut for quality reasons, I can't imagine how lackluster they must have been. On the other hand, it's hard to imagine that the songs weren't better than at least the first quarter of 20YO. And we close out with the down-tempo and stabbing song called Love to Love. That's love, the numeral two, and then love. And it's nice, but it also feels to me like 
it may have once been a much bigger piece in scope and that they stripped away a lot of gloss to get down to the heart of the song and what it is not is better for that. Again, if that's what happened. See, there's nary a track on 20YO that I don't question how everyone sat around a table saying to themselves, hey, this is great, and slapped it out there. Those ill-fated collaborations, they definitely weren't cut for space because this is Janet's shortest record in 20 years, only clocking in at 49 minutes. Word is that there was even a duet with Mariah Carey in the works, but it reportedly never even came to pass. The first two records, Janet Jackson and Dream Street, being a bit patchwork, sure, I can give you that. Janet was young, unsure if she even wanted to be a singer, and she wasn't in the driver's seat. But at this stage in her career, there was no reason for such a confounding album to be born and released. Other than some low sales because the world turned their back on Janet, she'd never stumbled with a release like this. I admit that I was utterly shocked at how slight and muddled this whole project is after an amazing run of genre-defining music. In the country of America, you've got to move at least 500,000 units to get a gold record. Now, 20YO was Janet's first album to barely even make it to that stature, and that's probably just due to the graciousness of her devout fanbase. Hi, devout fanbase! But I have to wonder... How did this record play to them, the folks who didn't maybe necessarily know what we know now, that Jermaine Dupri allegedly changed many aspects of the finished product just because he was in a position to do it? The decisions don't seem to be concerned with sales besides the Nelly duet, and it also isn't really done in favor of artistic integrity because the whole record centers around looking backwards except for the song with the lyrics that tell you not to look backwards so it's just this confusing piece of, like, fluff. It's a fluffy record that only has a few bright and easy to recommend spots. And it appears that it's not the last time that Janet would consult her then-boyfriend, Jermaine Dupri, to make a record, but it would seal the deal that he'd be removed from his position of power at Virgin Records, and so would Janet. Her contract with Virgin Records ran out, and this time, they didn't chase her. One could argue that 20YO could have done as much damage to her career as the Super Bowl incident, but that logic would only work if more people had heard this album. The public stayed away in droves, and that can be backed up with numbers. I normally don't think that the mainstream has the right idea about most things that one can name, but the mainstream might be better off not knowing how this album fizzles in its intent to be mindless throwback entertainment. There'd be no tour and fewer singles than ever before. 20YO itself is kind of a well-kept secret, and frankly, the secret is that it can only be recommended to the most hardcore of the most hardcore Janet Jackson fans. I have gone on at length while trying so hard to not give a negative review to 20YO because I really don't like to say bad things about art. It's not something that feels comfortable for me. Please tell me that you, Chris, are sitting on something that will make me look at 20YO in a completely different way, 
make me look at it as the misunderstood masterpiece. It must truly be if I'm not getting it, right? Please, uh, please, <laughs> enlighten me, Chris. Save me here. I have nothing to save you with. Oh, I, I kind of agree with you. This album, while, while I can't say anything like horribly bad about it because I don't like to say bad things about art either, it is definitely unfocused and it definitely has little to be desired when it comes to the production of some of these tracks basically essentially to me it sounds very just sparse but at the same time almost like i see i want to say i I can't say generic because it doesn't sound generic but it's sort of like what we were saying about the second album too many cooks uh being in, in, in the mix of this record. I think that's what this suffers from. Suffers from too many varying different productions being sandwiched together and being called a record. And Snarf didn't get there in and time. Snarf did not get there in time. He tried to press the red button, did not make it. Just just in case y'all didn't think we knew what we were doing there. Indeed. That was, in fact, a bit. Yes. <laughs> With 20YO, while you've got songs that, I mean, let's face it, the sound wasn't uninspiring. I mean, the sound of at least the first half of the record, that's pretty much where Britney Spears' career ended up going with Womanizer and Toxic and and things of that nature. So we can't say that it's unimportant or didn't matter to someone. What do you think that disconnect is for us? I mean, I we know that Jam and Lewis aren't quite as present. We know that Jermaine Dupri has a lot to do with the decisions that are being made. Obviously, if if people are finding things to love about the record and we're not, what are we missing? I think when it comes to an artist, especially one like Janet Jackson, we expect certain things from them, especially this far down the line. And with like with the, with the Big Five, she always kind of forged ahead and had a, like a brand new sound. Like we were saying, the sound is important, but at the same time, we we can't say that it's a total unique to Janet sound. It kind of sounded like everything else. So in that regard, it, that's probably where the disconnect is. It was like, she's like hitting us with some, yeah, you got some solid songs, you know, I'm sure you made some charts on here, but at the same time, it, you didn't blow our minds with something that was totally fresh and brand new. Add that in with too many uh, producers and the, 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 the toning back of Jam and Lewis may have resulted in this album being a little weaker than it could have been. Now you mentioned to me that you you have you take umbrage with the title. Uh yeah, I take umbrage with the title because it's called 20YO. This album came out in 2006. 20 years back from 2006 is 1986. Granted, she's talking about 20 years since the Control album. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not her first album. She had two before it. I think she should claim them. 24YO should have been the name of the record because of the fact that, yeah, even though, you know, she may have not had a say in those albums, she did make those albums. Why exclude them? It's sort of like, are, are you are you a fan of ministry? Uh, I, I like the, the middle period middle as period. much as anybody who grew up in the alternative age. Indeed, indeed. So from about a 
Well, you know, I had the I had Twitch because it was in the cutout bin Indeed. always, and uh, basically up to about Psalm 69. I think I started jumping off at Filth Pig. I didn't get it as much. Indeed. So in Florida Flight, it's sort of what like Al Jorgensen did with his career or whatever. If you ask him about with sympathy, yep. he'll denounce that record. He almost halfly denounces Twitch. Land of Rape and Honey is the record he claims as his first record, and she seems to be doing the same thing. Yo, you guys had to go through that craziness. You had to, you had to make that crazy video, Al, to get to, <laughs> to get to land the rape and Howdy, You know, you had to make the revenge video. You had to make the over the shoulder video. You know, you had to get there. You know, and I don't think you should diss the the prior thing. This is almost like what? If, let's say Prince didn't consider he had a career until Dirty Mind. That would take out two pretty important albums. You know what I mean? Like if you're taking out your first two. If I gotta live without for you. I, I could do it. I mean, yeah, I you could, could live do it. in a for you list universe. I mean, yeah, granted, but like at the same time, I know I can't live in like without the second record. Yeah, yeah, could not do it. Couldn't do it. So it's one of those things where it's sort of like maybe Dream Street ain't the best, but we obviously showed you that there was some bangers in the first one. So it's like, yeah, be proud of that career. That's my only problem with 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 the title. Is sort of like, why are we just going back? You know, because, like, even on some of the... And that gives me another uh, discrepancy, because on one of the uh, interludes, she's talking about, you know, somebody mentions 1978, and she's like, oh, that's like the good, the good times day. So it's like, you're going to go all the way back to good times, but you don't want to claim them two records? <laughs> Come on, man. You know? And I, I totally back you on this, because... I don't think her lyrics have been the now obviously nobody's coming to a Janet Jackson record for you know freaking war and peace or even you know a child rearing book or something of that nature but usually the lyrics by the end of the record you heard something that made you go oh Janet damn something to say yeah. and this one there's nothing that's what I'm saying it's and like... that's a lot like those first two records it comparatively gives those depth yeah. gives them lyrical depth gives them depth you know like Dream Street had too many producers this has too many producers Dream Street infinitely seems to be a little more interesting shockingly that's a little rough to say because if you remember Dream Street was an unfocused effort that we thought and this is sort of like a repeat of that but like just way more way it's higher stakes way too. higher yeah, way more higher stakes you know 20YO so how do you fix it? Like you, you how know, do I fix it? yeah, let's pretend Janet's got this idea that she wants to harken back to 1986. But uh, what what she had made clear was that she um, well, I don't think she made it clear enough, to be fair, that she wanted to harken back to the sounds that were popular around the time of control, not necessarily control. Now, I yeah. think she may have said this in a face saving way yeah. to be Frank, I, yeah. I think this may have been after the fact, and they're like, yeah. this doesn't sound a thing like control. Yeah. She wants to make a throwback to 86. I don't think that's what they actually ended up doing here on this record. Doesn't seem like it at all. So you gotta sculpt the Janet throwback to 86. What do you do? Um, Besides called Jam and Lewis. Well, okay. Well, assuming that that call has been made. Uh, <laughs> we scrap the uh, new instruments in favor for old instruments. We, we, we go full old school on the entire production, but 
we attempt to play in the new way. That's what I'm saying. Because if you think about 2006 and everything that was kind of coming up, like LCD sound system, the whole dance punk thing, Daft Punk was making their reemergence, Chromeo, Justice, all this electronic stuff that would kind of dominate the next like three or four years past that point. They were all going towards the old stuff anyway, but just in a new style. Had Janet Jackson jumped on that for R&B, it could have like, you know, taken them right along with it. But R&B kind of like went the way of the whole snap music and then later on trap music. So it's like, it kind of missed the wave of that. It did kind of have its dance period. I think it missed the mark based on the modern production while she was trying to do a real throwback thing. If you're trying to do a throwback thing, you got to do things in a throwback way. And I think it was a little too new for the throwback she was trying to pull off. When I learned about that quote where she was saying that it was a throwback to that period, yeah. I was like, man, you don't like 1986 very much, do you? Yeah. It felt like it was, was flipping off that year, because that's a great year for music. 1986 was a brilliant year for music, as I recall, being a little six-year-old first grader. I loved everything. It <laughs> was a I world remember. where Poison hadn't put out a record yet. It hadn't put out a record we yet. We were so innocent. You know, like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking back to just like even being in the year 1986. I don't remember too much being too terrible in my life about that. And the music was what I was really into. Even if the song was charting or if it was falling off the charts, something about that year, all those songs seemed to be great. And Janet Jackson's album was a big reason. You know, it dominated most of 1986. I don't know why she hates 1986 on this album. <laughs> That's our review. We, Marco the Sea and Captain Chris agree Janet Jackson, why do you hate 1986? Or uh, why do you hate 20? Why do you, because you were 20 in 1986. Why do you hate being 20? 20 YO, bro. After a quick turnaround, Janet Jackson released Discipline on Island Records in February of 2008. Though I had my fingers crossed, 2008's Discipline was not in fact a tribute to King Crimson like I'd hoped based on title alone. Nope, in fact, Janet appears on the cover in some type of vinyl or PVC getup and the credits denote that Janet herself is one of the, not one, not two, but 12 producers involved with the record, but conspicuous in their absence are the team of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Janet had moved over to Island Records after 20YO wrapped up a four-album deal with Virgin under rather adverse circumstances. Even more surprisingly, as many people attribute the relative failure of 20YO to meddling on the part of Jermaine Dupri, he's back as a producer. Plus, he'd been made Island Records president of urban production. Going by credits alone, it's clear that this is not a Janet Jackson record that we have any reference point for. Janet appears in monochrome on the cover for the first time since Rhythm Nation, but that's about it. I mean, so what does this mean? Does it mean anything? I mean, yes, the album did undo the curse she'd been fighting with the Billboard charts to an extent, because Discipline debuted at number one. But at the same time, the credits reveal that Janet do any writing at all on the album, and that doesn't sound like the type of thing that would put any of us on the edge of our seats. Much like the Demita Joe sessions when she passed writing duties off to someone else, it's kind of surprising to watch an artist that 
once prided themselves on, well, control, and not squandering their voice to essentially become a puppet for whichever producer happened to have the reins for whichever songs in question. Basically, there's a whole clump of stuff that seems like bright and shiny red flags all over discipline, and I haven't even talked about a single note that appears on the album. That said, our first cut here, feedback, it's a pounding one with a refrain of sexy sexy, and there's some writing help from LaShawn Daniels, who you might know as a writer for, say, Destiny's Child's Say My Name and Lady Gaga's Telephone, and having a hit is clearly the name of the game here. And you might not have even guessed that it was Janet if you heard it on the radio blindly. There's little else like this throbbing Euro electropop feel that's heard on that opening cut elsewhere in her discography, and though very little here would set any sales records ablaze in the long run, in the first quarter of Discipline, there's already some simply outstanding pop songs like Love, which is spelled L-U-V. And it's not even the best song on the record, but melodically it runs rings around even the best moments on 20YO right off the bat. Those descending vocal harmony worlds that you used to be able to just totally lose yourself in with Janet's music, they're back and they're being worn like a badge of honor again. And ditto for the pummeling roller coaster, which is brought to life by the likes of Uptown AP and AI. Uh, listen, I've got no background in picking hit R&B dance singles, but I can't imagine how this track got passed over as single material, as it's got the most immediate chorus I've heard from Miss Jackson since at least Strawberry Bounce from Demita Joe. that absolutely deserved its release as a promo track is called Rock With You. Same type of irresistible hook, some futuristic vocoder and synth play jumps out and grabs you, surrounded by the return of Janet's breathy falsetto. There's more hooks than a coat closet here, and it's a sound to behold. And Neo really helped bring the track to life, and the most interesting part about the song is that if one deconstructs it, they'd find that the bulk of the good stuff is happening based on notes inside of one well-traveled E minor chord. The inventive sparseness meets Euro Disco wasn't enough to push this, the second single from Discipline, even into the top 100, but as far as memorable hooks, this album so far has brought them back in spades. understandably thought that we might be looking at all possible applications of the word discipline, but instead the album seems to play out like a night on the town. Janet and her girlfriends making inside jokes in the bathroom of a club. If there is an overarching theme here besides certified dance floor killers, it's lost on this listener, but that isn't to the detriment of the album. It's actually a bit refreshing that she's not even pretending to have a coming and going message. This is just a fun album full of fun tracks. It's put together by a cavalcade of differing producers from disparate backgrounds, and this sort of makes it a successor to her first few albums for me, and succeeds in a lot of the ways that 20YO tried to. There is a bit of personal stuff afoot here, though, and some claim that the defiantly smooth song Can't Be Good is a track about Janet's relationship with Dupree, which makes the whole situation with Discipline feels like a you-and-me-against-the-world kind of statement, but it's this track also featuring the hand of Neo that shows me that after 20 straight minutes of dance music, that to be dropped right into Janet's world unexpectedly, 
there was still a bit of let's throw everything at the wall to see what sticks going on as far as the actual assemblage of the album. But the can't be good formula is even improved by the manual seal junior helmed never let you go. Not only are manual's credits impeccable, having written for everyone from Aretha Franklin to Mariah Carey to Gladys Knight and back again, but this is the first track here that really feels like classic Janet. Now that's not to say it all needs to be a throwback or even feel older, but it is kind of comforting when it does, right? However, what I just mentioned is kind of the inherent problem with discipline. It's looking for a new style to pioneer in the beginning, but it's most successful when it curls up into the cold comforts of what we already know that Janet's great at. And that's not great news, because in the past, Janet would put out a new statement, and the rest of the pop world would hear it and go, okay. That's what we're doing now, and it would change everything. And now Janet's trying to do that, but those attempts at breaking new ground are abandoned fairly quickly for reminders of why we even like Janet in the first place. It's not until we hear a few of Janet's patented ballads that this starts to feel like the ship that is Janet's career is starting to write itself. And it's a testament to how well Janet can leave her mark on anything she touches, too. Remember when I said that Janet didn't write anything here? Instead, she's credited as the vocal producer here, and it's the stacked harmonies that start reminding us, at least me, why I keep showing up at all. And the deep grooves don't let up on a pivotal song called The Greatest X, a story of how sometimes love just isn't enough to make relationship work, and it's times like this that I almost wish I were more into the personal side of her life, the gossipy stuff. Because if I didn't know better, this block of ballads almost sounds like Janet working through an imminent breakup with Jermaine Dupri while making the album with him. Of course, that's probably a total stretch and a definite shot in the dark, because I got nothing to go on here. I mean, she didn't write the song, but she's not incapable of telling her writers what she'd like to express. And I suppose it could also be a happy accident. And we know that at least as of right now, when I'm recording this in 2018, Janet and Jermaine didn't end up together. So if this theory is right, then discipline could have been a daring exercise in wearing her heart on a sleeve in a way we simply weren't prepared for or even warned about. But that lack of writing credits tells me this is all conjecture. Just guesses. Truthfully, I have no idea what the heck's going on here. I mean, she ditched her longtime producers, does some very unjanet things on an album for a label she has no history with, and changes her own style of working on the records. More than anything, discipline is a mighty mindfuck when you try to pick it apart. When you just listen and let it be what it is, it's quite nice. If you try to dig a bit further, it's a world you can't possibly peg properly. You'd be doing nothing more than guessing. The album compels you to just listen, and accept it on its own terms, but not like Control, where such a thing is stated in a very in-your-face way. You don't realize that this is the case with discipline until you're trying to make sense of it. Not everything is quite as successful, even in a head-scratching way, though. There's a weird little track called So Much Better that features a sped-up and processed vocal over a repetitive and kind of inessential backing track, still on the Eurodance side of things, and I really don't know what's going on with this one and how it's supposed to connect one song to another on this album. 
And then there's The One, which opens with Missy Elliott showing up with the penile lyrics right on time, and that's when it dawns on me just how safe this album is playing things. For an album that conjures up BDSM imagery based on title alone, Somehow, Discipline is probably the most safe-for-work Janet album since Control. The One dives headfirst... <laughs> sorry, couldn't resist the pun. The One dives headfirst into more repetitions of really wanna, uh, than anything this side of the Spice Girls, and as Missy at least spices things up with a slightly different delivery, well, we all know it ain't a good sign when your guest star outshines you on your own song, no matter how buried in the album it might be. And the following track, called What's Your Name, delivers a lot more in the melody department, but this record definitely starts to sag a little bit towards the back half. We do get into some of Janet's more smooth and ballad-esque material to close out with the title track and the aptly titled closing tune known as Curtains, and while they're two of the strongest tunes on the album, that's nothing to sneeze at, finishing strong. That title track does finally deliver on the dominance and submission leanings intimated by the title, but from someone that usually pushes the envelope as far over the line as possible, it's impossible not to notice just how sterile it feels. It feels like something that's here and happening just because it's a Janet Jackson record, and there's got to be one overtly sexual track, so here's Neo and Shay Taylor coming to the rescue. It's better when I don't know what to expect Hey, I need some discipline tonight Baby, don't hold Discipline is the very definition of a mixed bag. When it's bad, it's almost offensive and it's pandering. But when it's good, it's still a little bit disingenuous since we know that Janet didn't actually pen any of the material. And I was hoping it'd grow on me, but it's the most phoned-in record I could have imagined from latter-day Janet, barring 20YO. It's possible that she didn't have much to say, but in that case, why make an album at all? And it kills me that the album is so phoned in, too, because as I've stated previously, I was really hoping that these lesser-known post-Nipplegate albums would be full of pop gems that the world was simply missing out on, but so far, no go. In fact, in America, the album still hasn't sold enough copies to have even gone gold, and one could argue that one of the strongest tracks that the sessions yielded is ultra-buried as a bonus track on the Japanese pressing of the album, a song called Let Me Know. But as I said before, don't get me started on the B-sides. There are some very, very good moments on Discipline, but it's a supremely front-loaded album. And when I try to describe this as anything more than a desperate search for a successful new direction, I come up short with words to describe it. But Island Records was at a loss, too. The album was released in February of 2008, and though Janet would embark on her first tour in years to promote this sucker, Island dropped Janet from their roster completely a mere seven months later in September of 2008. So it isn't an actively bad record by any means. It's just confusing, undercooked, and ultimately it seems like Janet made a record just to make one. And I suppose that's the only reason anyone would need to produce a 53-minute album that they didn't write any part of. Maybe Janet commissioned some folks to help her make a record that she herself just wanted to listen to. I don't know, folks. I'm trying here. The good news is that this is not the end of the story, 
and the waters are gonna get a little bit clearer. The best review I can give to Discipline, it's not 20YO. I agree. <laughs> but Discipline does have some pretty high moments on it. Uh, what, do you, what do you think, man? I agree. The, the feedback, obviously, you know, that that's one of the singles. Rock With You is probably my favorite off the record, straight up. I enjoy it so much better, you know? <laughs> the one with Missy Elliott, those, all, the, all those tracks were like kind of the highlights for me personally. It wasn't 20YO, but it definitely wasn't all for you. It definitely wasn't some of the other ones either. It seems like she was still on the too many producers train, you know what I mean? And still following trends instead of starting them. And not to mention the fact that Jam and Lewis is nowhere on this record. And the yeah, Jam- can't belabor that point enough. Yeah, the Jam Lewis Jackson conglomerate of production cannot be beat. And I can understand when a person wants to kind of like branch out and do something else, but when you, hey man, like when you're baking cakes and you know the recipe, you might want to keep at it, you know? You can always expound upon the cake. At least they could have been like overseers. They could have been executive producer. They, they, they don't appear. And I think because of that and the overseeing of Jermaine Dupree might have had something to do with it. As you grew up a Jacksons fan and by extension, a Janet fan, do you remember anybody even listening to this record at the time? <sighs> Um, I, I remember at my job, um, there were a couple of people that had the, the CD around. I think one person kind of had a copy, kind of, kind of went around the, the office, <laughs> you know, that sort of situation. So I remember getting a copy of it. I didn't listen to it all the way, uh, right off the top, but I remember the conversations about it didn't last long. That was the thing <laughs> about it. It wasn't like it was a long lasting record. You know, we were... We were moving on towards other stuff, you know, at the time, especially in my life. And so, like, hearing the Janet Jackson stuff, I remember hearing feedback everywhere. That was a song that was constantly kind of playing everywhere, and you would see her on, like, Oprah or something, like, promoting things. And it was just sort of like, all right, Janet's got another album. But, like, that was the thing. It wasn't exciting anymore. It was weird. Janet Jackson albums aren't being exciting anymore. Like, that's not supposed to happen in the universe, you know? Yeah, and when I hear that statement, I think, how stuck up are we that we can't find enjoyment in these Janet Jackson records, these latter-day ones, and then... I search for something to, positive to say about even the moments that I don't like, yeah. and I fail miserably. Yeah. So it's a true symptom, yeah. but it's how do we avoid it? Like, what could have been done different? Now, I know that you and I are both on the <laughs> Jam and Lewis train, yeah. but... Like, we always default to Jam and Lewis. <laughs> but, um, but this was a period where I knew that Janet was still active. Yeah. That may have been due more to her getting a lot of accolades for acting at the yes, time. Yeah. So I knew she was active, but I didn't even know that there was a record named Discipline until I bought all the post All For You records for my wife for a yeah. birthday present on, on Wax. And uh, that's no mean feat. Like, that's not an easy thing to do. Discipline, I'm like, I didn't even know this was a record. So... I came into this completely fresh. Ha, surprise, there's yeah. a record from 2008, like, yeah. or 2009, period. No, 2008, yeah. Just, and then I'm like, oh, what's not connecting here? Uh, but it's not 20 YO. It's, so. it's just one of those things. Well, yeah, you, you know, you always have that to fall back on. 
but it's just one of those things where it's like it's still disappointing it's like all right well you gave me a little bit more janet but I know you. I, it's, like, it's, it's almost like you feel like you grew. Well, you did grow up with Janet. That's how you feel with her. And it's sort of like, I know what you can do. I've seen you do this before. And I still have the faith that you can do it again. As a fan, you really start getting into that mode and you want her to succeed. You know, you just, each record, you're just like, what's going on? Because you were right. She was getting tons of accolades for the acting. You like being in Tyler Perry movies. Like, um, yeah, I saw a clip of why did I get married too? And I was like, man, she is dominating. This isn't just, oh, that's very good for, oh no, no, uh, you know, for just an actress, like, or, you know, some regular person off the street. Like she was stunningly good to the point where you forgot you were looking at Janet Jackson. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, you get lost in the character that she played in those movies, and it's like, all right, you know, like, you forgot that Janet Jackson's an actress. You just, it was almost like, you know, you had gotten so used to the pop star that you had forgotten, oh yeah, you acted before this. From the first time we saw you cry, you know, because she was about to get an iron, <laughs> Iron to the back, uh, all the way to like you know the movie she got now. It's like yeah, she's a phenomenal actress. I think maybe the focus might have been on that. That could be another thing. Maybe she was more focused on the acting than she was on the actual music. That would make sense if she made like a decision to do that, but just kind of didn't tell us because she doesn't. Let's face it, she doesn't know us anything. Yeah. True. So what if she just did that? Yeah. And didn't tell us. That's easier for me to make peace with than Janet making a bad record and saying, I don't care. She's not an unfocused person. Like, to be, I think, to be a Jackson is the definition of discipline in and of itself. I just have to think that her discipline was somewhere else at that point and just happened to coincide with a not so great record. But it's but still not 20YO. Still not 20YO. And still enjoyable. Therefore, enjoyable. Hello, Reverend. Welcome to Fantasies Fulfilled. If you'll enter your ID number, we can begin. Let's go. We've still got one record left to go, but I want to remind you one of the best ways to help people find out about discography, if you're enjoying it, is to go to iTunes, rate, and review us there. Hey, high ratings, we'll take it. But hey, you can also be honest, you know? If you're not having a good time, I don't know how you got so deep into episode four of season two if you're not having a good time. So hopefully those will all be positive reviews. But if you want to interact with us, facebook.com slash discography on CPN. So it's like discography on Consequence Podcast Network, right? Discography on CPN, got it? Got it. If you want to talk to me on Twitter, I'm at Mark Fi. That's M-A-R-C-F-I as in... There's mid-fi, hi-fi, lo-fi, and mark-fi. You can also uh, link up with me directly on Facebook, facebook.com slash music. There's lots of other great programming on Consequence Podcast Network. There's This Must Be The Gig. There's Filmography. There's Losers Club. There's Halloweenies. There's going to be a lot of stuff to keep you entertained while we get ready to do season three. And I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I think it'd probably be, if you know anything about Mark with a C, be the first thing that would come to mind. We'll just say that. Meanwhile, speaking of me, Mark with a C, I make records. They're kind of indie rock, kind of lo-fi, kind of weird. Some people like them. Some people think they're good. Maybe they are. Markwithac.com. Or if you want to buy vinyl, compact discs, cassettes, etc., Mark with a C dot bandcamp.com slash merch 
Every dime you spend on me goes back into making more creative stuff to entertain you with. And if you want to help me out in the best way possible, patreon.com slash markwithacee. Not only are you going to get exclusive content like my other podcast, the Real Congregation, just a dollar a month gets you unreleased material, special stuff, exclusive stuff. It's like a monthly tip jar meets a fan club. I'd be happy to have you on board, and I will make you proud. As I've said before on record, if you trust me with your leisure time, I promise not to squander it, and I think I've done a pretty good job of backing up my words with my actions. Discography is produced right in Orlando, Florida, by me in Mark with the C's home studio, and of course, I want to remind you, thanks again to Chris LeBrain of Chris LeBrain's campaign, WPRK, and the Universal Funk Orchestra for stopping by. But we're not done. We're not done. I just wanted to say all that before we were done. And then you were like, I already heard the Janet content. I don't need to hear a bunch of plugs. I'm out of here. I didn't want you to do that. So, okay, I wasted enough of your time. Let's talk about Unbreakable by Janet Jackson. It took nearly two years to produce, but it finally came out on Janet's own Rhythm Nation label, in October of 2015. There's conceivably more that one could say about the events that would lead up to the album Unbreakable than anything on the actual album itself. After being on Island Records for about a combined 14 months, Janet got dropped from the label. She also separated from Jermaine Dupri, and her brother Michael passed away under tragic circumstances. She'd try to get back into the studio to make some tracks with bona fide hitmaker Starchild, but the sessions were abandoned. Janet would appear in a few movies with very well-received roles. She'd embark on a tour armed with nothing but her greatest hits to perform. But besides an occasional soundtrack appearance, Janet the record maker seemed as if she wasn't much of a going concern, and few could follow many clues to see if a new album was even on the horizon, as it wasn't publicly known if Janet even had a record deal at that point. But Unbreakable dropped out of the sky on Janet's own Rhythm Nation label in late 2015. Each panel of the vinyl artwork would be yet another close-up of Janet's face to make you wonder if this lady even has the capability of aging. But Jam and Lewis are back, and so are Janet's writing credits. The only true theme of the album would seem to be a mix of playing seven years worth of catch-up, while otherwise mostly being a continuation of earlier themes. Of course, Janet would have to address the elephant in the room, and as the name of the album was also the name of the first song on what would become her brother's final studio album, she seemed poised to do just that. There would be no trend setting here, but rather an hour's worth of getting reacquainted with us. Unbreakable kicks off with its title track, a love letter to her fans, but when that chorus kicks in, it's just, yeah, Janet is back. followed up with one of Janet's certified dance floor killers and burn it up. Missy Elliott introduces us, claiming Janet's back with a brand new sound, but in actuality, there's not much ground to break here, nor does that seem to be the intent, despite some surprising trap leanings in Damn Baby. Well, at least in the kickoff. There's plenty of places we can travel in an hour, but it's worth pointing out that the first thing that's likely to catch your ears early on in the album is just how much Janet's natural voice is deepened in tone. And the rest of the album proves that she hasn't actually lost a step. But while the subject matter is a bit more mature on the whole, and I don't mean mature as in you can't play it at work, I mean 
mature, Janet shows up with a voice to match, and spoiler alert, it's without question the strongest of Janet's works since at least All For You. Not to say what happened in between was absolute crap or something, but this one is just good. Straight through, full stop. And things start getting pretty real in songs like The Great Forever, which not only shines a nice spotlight on Janet's less used lower register, but it also shows up with the smoothest and most immediately refreshing beat, vibe, and feel that we've heard in numerous albums from Miss Jackson, all serving to highlight what's inarguably the best song Janet has offered in over a decade. Lyrically, she focuses on, well, <laughs> people like me that bother to bring up her romantic life when the music is really all that matters. some EDM in the back half of Shoulda Known Better with Janet framing the pounding beat to seemingly ask why the social issues she'd first brought up during the Rhythm Nation days were still not fixed, but also shows herself to be more than willing to continue the conversation until that's no longer the case. Though, if the nods to the past make you miss her classic and timeless ballads like Again, Let's Wait a While, and the like, you're in for a treat with some really sweet stuff, like the incredibly sparse After You Fall. And that's not the last time she'd be offering up the less is more approach, but there's more to talk about with Unbreakable before we get there. For example, some people feel that the track Broken Heart's Heel is a direct tribute to childhood memories with her brother, and it might very well be. To these ears, its strength is in the hook that sounds like a cross between the types of vocal harmony one would expect from Janet, mixed with arrangements one might recognize from her brother's songs that sounds like a daybreak peeking through the clouds, like those found in tracks like Human Nature and Baby Be Mine. If it's the direct tribute that it seems to be, it's fitting, and it's up there with some of her most moving works, like Together Again, for example. It's not all dancing through the tears, even when Janet shifts back to the dance floor in tracks like Night. There's a smoothness and an almost type of resignation to being a bit more laid back than ever before that permeates these type of songs that pop up occasionally on the album. There's certainly more substance and more to think about than we've had in longer than I can measure, and that's really saying something because I'm pretty clearly waist deep in unraveling Janet's discography here. Uh, the lead single? lead single from the album was called No Sleep. Sleep is spelled with three E's, and boy, do I hope you like it, because depending on which version of Unbreakable you snag, there are up to three versions of the song to be found. The copy I've been referencing here is the vinyl, which uses the track twice. Once in a version with J. Cole, that contains a direct reference to Michael, and one version that's pretty much all Janet. And it's a good down-tempo track too, but it's clear that at some point, everyone involved with the project was putting their money on this particular song. And while yes, it's a good and uh, really kind of an obvious single, one has to wonder if they knew that they pretty much had one chance at cracking through with a single from the album to reach the public, and didn't prepare tons of remixes for other songs, as seems to be Janet's usual MO and album preparation. 
the song would peak at number 63 on the Billboard Hot 100. the midway point with no sleep, there's a saggy but quirky and enjoyable middle with some throwback R&B and dream maker euphoria, some sunshine pop and to be loved, which is quite melodically arresting. stuff like Take Me Away, which is likely the most predictable song here as it's a danceable ode to wanting to disappear either with or into a lover. In reality, the latter might be the most predictably Janet thing going on here, but what might have been a really good album track before does feel a little bit like treading water, and if there's any complaint that one could make about Unbreakable is that there are very few forward strides. We know who Janet is and who Janet has been, and she spends the bulk of Unbreakable reaffirming those qualities. And that's exactly what this discography needed right now, in my humble opinion. We do seem to look ahead on the last quarter of the album, though. You've got exceptionally sparse and dark material like Black Eagle, which is delivered solely with Janet's voice, some snaps, a bit of keyboard work with emphasis on the bass hits to move the rhythm along, there's little to nothing else like this in her catalog, and her vocal restraint really puts this one over the top. But for me, the indisputable highlight of Unbreakable is the soaring and anthemic Well-Traveled. It's a track that kicks in with what it's going to build into right off the bat, then drops back and comes back in sounding like a cross between modern country, early arcade fire, and... Well, you can tell that Janet's singing, but it doesn't sound like anything she's ever done. Not only is it compositionally the best song on the album, but if this track is indicative of where she's going to go next artistically, the future of Janet Jackson's work could likely be every bit as satisfying as her highest highs in the past. The growth and gambles, they're saved for the end of this record, but it's alternately the most instantly gratifying material she's done in a long, long time, but the first time she sounded ready to move on to new territory in a rather stunted decade's worth of music. The album ends in a different place depending on which copy of Unbreakable you've got. Some CDs end with Gonna Be Alright, my vinyl copy ends with the Janet-only version of No Sleep, while the Japanese and Australian versions end with a clutch of songs that aren't even available in other countries, and sure, I could look at that as mildly inconvenient, but I choose to see it in a positive way. Examples of the countless bridges that Janet could follow for more material in the future. discography was pitched, one of the rules that I had was I really wanted to only focus on artists with a definite ending in their career, because I didn't want later on there to be a, 
oh, well now this record's come through and changed everything and changed the landscape and made everything that Mark said about it completely obsolete. I felt like it was just easier to stick with artists that you knew weren't making any further records. Meanwhile, Unbreakable came out 2015 and there's who knows what she's working on now? She's she's still touring as of us speaking today. She could make another record, but also it took seven years between Discipline and this record, so who the fuck knows when that could happen? So that being said, the reason that I feel that Janet was the exception to that rule is because Unbreakable... If, you know, God forbid, something happens to Janet tomorrow, she has made the ultimate closing statement. This is almost like Bowie's Black Star, but she lived. Indeed. That's a good analogy on this record, because that's how I feel about it. It's like, it's the comeback from never going anywhere, because she was always there the whole time, but you came back at the same time. You, you, you managed to go back where you were coming from. It's almost like you could almost throw out a few of those records. You had the come down of All For You. And yeah, you you have, like, almost take the best songs from all those three albums in between and stitch that together into an album and then get to this one. You know, you could do a pretty killer compilation if you just took the highlights yeah. from Demita Joe, 20 Y.O. and Discipline. That know. could be a hot record. And it might be a hot record, man, because this record, Unbreakable, is hot in and of itself. From like almost from start to finish, man. Like there's very little in the way. Finally, very little in the way of bad points on this record. That's what I gotta say about Unbreakable. Now I do have a story on one of these. I want to hear it. Um, it, it, it comes from Jimmy Jam when they um, Jam and Lewis did their Red Bull Music Academy interview. They were talking about the song Broken Hearts Heat. Yeah. Now that song talking about essentially death of Michael Jackson in a way it's talking about that and Jam was talking about how she started off the song singing one way when she got into the second verse she started to do all these sort of Michael Jackson-esque like like you know in her vocals while she was singing she didn't realize she was doing it. it's one of those things where she does channel the spirit of Michael on that song I feel so that's a touching one for me um, no Sleep featuring J. Cole. I, I really like that jam. There's like 8,000 remixes of No Sleep out there. Yeah. And this vinyl edition ends with another mix of No Sleep. I don't know that there's a way that you could purchase this record where it actually ends with what they claim the closing song is, oh. which is going to be all right. Yeah. I don't think there's one where it actually ends with going to be all oh, right. Really? So are you team J. Cole's version of No Sleep, or are you team the other version where there's no J. Cole and it's straight Janet the whole time? I like the J. Cole version. You know. I, I'm on the other train. You're on the other train? Yeah, I just, I, <laughs> I like that vibe so much that... When J. Cole comes in and gives me references yeah. to MJ, I'm like, oh, now it's kind of a downer. Oh, yeah. Like, well, that, I can see that. It's not bad, mind you. It's just, yeah. oh, man, no, I was having a good time. Yeah, we weren't going to get any sleep. And then <laughs> and now, we're, Michael Jackson now we're just out. grieving. Yeah, you brought up Michael Jackson. All I want to do is sleep. Yes, <laughs> oh, man. But, no, I feel you on that. But, no, I just liked his, his, his vibe on it. Burn It Up featuring Missy was cool. I love Gonna Be Right. Like, the ending track is another one of those rockers. She she once again gives us a rocker that we haven't heard from her in a while. I think the two most promising things on this record for the future yeah. uh, 
One is the track Black Eagle. Black Eagle, this, yeah. Because now she's no stranger to working with Kanye West. Yeah. She's worked with him in the past. And saying the name Kanye West to some people, it's kind of like poison. Yeah. I don't really give a fuck. So, yeah. you know, swallow your pride. And, you know, you made it this far into four podcasts. Yeah. Come on. You, you can hear about Kanye for a minute. You're um, going to hear about him in the news one way or the other. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Might as well be from your trustworthy friends here at Discography. One of the things that I think made Yeezus, the record, so polarizing was that if you were to ask the average person what the three key elements of hip-hop are, I would be very surprised if the answers were not words, beat, bass. Yeah. And in Yeezus, he took away the beat. He had lyrics and just the bass. And Black Eagle is the first time that I've heard Janet take that same type of production, but she does it with R&B. She's... It yeah, hasn't been applied true. to the genre that I've heard personally. But secondly, the song, uh, I think it's either right after it or two songs after it called Well Traveled. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This song sounds nothing like anything she's ever done. Yeah. So you've got these two songs that Polarized. actually there is no comparison in Janet's catalog. Yeah. And she could go forward and still make a brand new trend. And as a thing about it, she forged new ground with that, and the songs were were decent. So, like like the Black Eagle song, it has the most striking production on the record. You know, like it just stands the fuck out. Well traveled, like you, like yeah, I have to agree. It sounds like nothing else she's ever done before. Gonna be all right, kind of harbinge, just sort of like on a Sly and the Family Stone vibe. Yeah, but still at the same time, we haven't heard that vibe fully from her. We've heard her sample Sly and the Family Stone. We've heard her get a little rocked out. So it was a good quote unquote ender, since you know, like you said, they end with no sleep most of them. Top to bottom, this was like a way better effort than Discipline or 20YO or Demita Jeff. I'd go on a limb saying best record since Velvet Rope, and I'd even go as far as saying fourth to Rhythm Nation Control and Velvet Rope. There you go. There you go. I, I can't disagree. I can't disagree with that. Like This is like the return to the Janet that we knew she could be. You so know, that we knew she was. When you heard this record, did you hear when it, right when it came out, or did you hear it uh, for this project more or less for this project I had heard Broken Hearts Heal based on the fact that I had seen that uh, Jam and Lewis uh, interview a while ago so when you first heard her singing in such a low register for her because she does it yeah. throughout the record did you think boy she sounds older or boy she sounds like her brother boy she sounds like her brother because that's where I was too because... and I know that it's it's probably age. It's, it's, it's age and just the fact that they all kind of have that sort of quality uh, uh, in their voice where they all similar, you know, sound like at least Michael and Janet definitely did have like similar qualities to their voice. And if you remember, Michael Jackson would sometimes get deep on songs and you'd be like, oh, like 2000 Watts, like 2000 Watts is the deepest he ever got. Um, but even like if you go back to like off the wall get on the floor then why don't you just that was pretty deep for him even though because he's thinking you know I remember as a child thinking that was somebody else and then you find out oh wait that's Michael too he can get that deep that's how I felt you know as a five year old but they have the quality to go deep she went there I think you know just I think it's a natural Jackson progression because they built their career on sinking so high you know that all you can do is Hit us with the low, and we'd be like, oh, shit, you got a whole new side to you that we've never even experienced. You got any predictions for her future? 
my predictions for her future especially since she's on tour right now i know she's gonna hit us with an album um see that's what i'm afraid of that we're I, gonna do this series and then surprise she's gonna surprise drop and now she's gonna beyonce us or do like an in rainbows kind of deal and <laughs> fuck me all up here it ain't gonna fuck you up the only look, look i put it to you like this the only way she can fuck us up is if she delivers a bad album to us you know at best if the album is amazing you make an addendum and <laughs> epilogue episode <laughs> yeah, like post postscript you know to the to the, to the discography series we i mean that's the best thing we can hope for is that she continues to give us like amazing music you know i mean i hope that's what it is i know she's always you know in the news for stuff other than her music but hey, I'm holding out hope that this is the beginning of a new golden age where we can just focus on what's on Janet Jackson's records and leave her personal life out of it because, frankly, the albums are just more interesting and they'll have a better impact on your life than rifling through somebody else's trash. I've been Mark with a C. This is Discography. Hope you had a great time, and I hope to see you around for Season 3. It's been my pleasure to talk with you. Please... Don't be a stranger. Reach out to us. Rate, review us on iTunes. Tell all your friends about us. Share us in your Facebook feeds, your Twitter feeds, every feed you got. Make a new feed. Share us there, and we'll keep giving you the goods. I'm Mark with a C. Discography is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Our background music is done by Chris Brisky. He's also the composer of our theme song, Air Hockey Saloon, and you can check out more of his stuff at chrisabriskie.com. Thank you so much. Until next time, my friends, take care. Consequence Podcast Network.